and listen to us talk with the Bonjam. Go and have a lovely little walk with the Bonjam. Let me put it on and go to bed with the Bonjam. Or grab yourself a slice of toast and spread with the Bonjam. Hello and welcome to Bonjam. With me, Simon Jeffrey, and I'm joined by the Jaws to my Sharky, it's Mr. James Turner. Oh, I like that comparison. Uh, I didn't think those were the two that you'd compare, but... Uh... Um, nice to nice to nice to start again. <laughs> I'm not starting again. Oh, oh, never mind. Um, it's been a while. It's been a while. It's been too long. Um, yeah. if we get this one out before the end of the year, which is possible, but it's also you know we've said that before and taken longer. Um, we're currently in December right now. If we get this out this year, it will be two episodes that we've managed in this year. Which is uh, not bad. <laughs> we will do better next year. <laughs> we can't promise that anymore, James. We have made too many promises. <laughs> uh, I reassure myself by by telling myself and reminding myself that ultimately there is no one out there. Um, if you have missed us, then let us know. Uh, because as far as we're concerned, no one's there. So it doesn't matter. Um, however... Uh, if that introduction hadn't made it obvious, we will be talking about the many James Bond allies from across the series. And uh, on that note, I actually have received a question Ooh. on that very topic that I'd like to kick us off with. Okay, okay, yeah, I like this. This is a question from a person called David. He is my brother from the same mother. Um, <laughs> and he asks... <laughs> Which bad guys would have made good allies, assuming they weren't killed? That's a good question. Um, I I instantly think of Scaramanga. In terms of uh, his his skill and um, his yeah. similarities to Bond in in many ways that he himself draws attention to. Absolutely, um, yeah, yeah. I think there'd probably be a clash of egos there. I don't think they'd work very well together. But he could probably be a good agent if he wasn't uh, an evil hitman. Yeah, that's that's definitely yeah yeah I, th- I think so. He, he's kind of like the kind of like the anti Bond, isn't he? Uh, but you know, if if Bond wasn't there, I think he'd be able to get get the job done. Well, I thought I'd bring that question up at the start because I thought you know we we might have some immediate answers to it, but we might also uh, have a few ideas as we go on with our discussion. So if at any point. During this episode, James, you have any more thoughts about how to answer David's question? Uh, you know, then yeah, feel free to we'll throw revisit it back it at in. the end. We'll revisit. Um, yeah. So on that, James, I wonder um, what do we mean by an ally, uh, and what to you defines a good one? Well, I think when you think about allies, I think we're looking at people who help Bond that Bond doesn't sleep with. Um, so I think that means. Anybody who uh, assists Bond on a certain mission or, you know, helps out with anything to do with MI6-related activities, I think counts as an ally. Yes. I, um, In order to make a short list of my own personal best and worst picks, I first searched for a list of all Bond's allies, and that did include many of his uh, love interests, the Bond women... But in the interest of uh, narrowing it down a little bit, I think we can safely eliminate any love interest that he might have. Um, not because they don't have a valid place as an ally, but probably because they deserve their own episode entirely. So um, 
I've also sort of shifted my focus slightly away from the regular MI6 staff um, and mm. focused more on uh, the people who perhaps help him once or maybe twice in some cases, but for the most part, his kind of one-off assistance um, on his missions. Uh, yeah. So how this is going to work, James and I are going to kind of pitch a couple of picks each. We'll start with the good ones, and then we'll move on to what we think are perhaps some of the less good ones, because that's probably a more interesting conversation. <laughs> it's <Yeah>. always more <laughs> fun to talk about the bad stuff. Um, but hopefully we can come up with three each without trading on each other's toes too much, but I wouldn't be surprised if we double up on some of these. So yeah. Uh, yeah. without further ado, James, do you want to kick us off with your first pick for one of your top Bond allies? Okay, so my first pick is um, an interesting one because I think if you heard that this particular actor was going to be in a Bond film or some of the equivalent uh, nature of this actor, you wouldn't have much faith in the film. But my uh, choice, my first choice would be uh, VJ from Octopussy because today would be, it's, it's basically the equivalent of Roger Federer being cast in the next Bond film. And yes, and not just him being cast in a Bond film, but him being cast in a Bond <laughs> film as an ally who is pretending to be a tennis player. Yeah, yeah. Because if for those who don't know, VJ Armitrage was a famous tennis player at the time mm. he was making Octopussy uh, when he played VJ, who is undercover as a tennis player. Yeah. Which, <laughs> as you say, sounds like it shouldn't work. Yeah. But if um... you heard my my mouse clicking there by the way, if, if you could pick that up on the microphone. That was me uh, crossing off one from my list because he was also <laughs> on there. Oh, that's good then. Uh, to be honest, uh, a lot of it will be down to the chemistry between him and Roger Moore. And a lot of my names I've come up with do tend to be on Roger Moore films. And I think it's because Roger Moore does have a good chemistry with a lot of his allies that he uh, gets paired with. Uh, and VJ is up there, I think. He um, is resourceful. And when he dies, oh, you feel really sad that he's dead because he's he was such a good ally and he was um, and he helped Bond so well. Yeah, his death is one of the most sort of touching of the series, I think. And yeah, you're right. Um, I was looking down the list, and I think Roger has a disproportionate amount of good allies compared to some yeah. of the other actors. But what what do you think in particular makes him a good ally? He's always by Bond's side, helping him out. And because uh, I think he's uh, he's also a charming character, and and like I say, he does have that strong relationship with uh, Roger Moore's Bond. He, like even when he's in Q's lab, I love that scene where you know he's going along with Bond mm. in Q's lab. Usually it's just Bond and Q, but we've got him there side by side. And Bond doesn't usually have many people who usually works alone. Bond and doesn't really work very well with others. But in this case, I think VJ and Bond as a pairing work really well. Yeah, and you get the sense it's more than just, you know, tolerating each other during the job. He shares jokes with him. He even gives him a little massage at one point. Wait, 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 I can't even remember that bit. Which bit's that? I th maybe I'm imagining that. Maybe I'm just extrapolating from the charming character. Oh, no, yeah, yeah. I think you might be right, yeah. Yeah, just uh, it's just talking and casually like, oh, you know, Bond, I've seen what you've been through. You need a little bit of uh, a bit of relief. I'll just yeah, uh, just, yeah, yeah. just work those shoulders a little bit for you. There you go. <laughs> um, yeah, from the moment he's introduced uh, until his very sad demise, um, I love every moment he's on screen. He's he's warm and charismatic and helpful, dignified. Mm. Um, I think sometimes characters are made to look a little foolish 
to offset Bond's brilliance sometimes. Mm. Uh, I've been watching uh, a bit of Jonathan Creek lately, rewatching, right. I should say. And um, quite often, in order to show that he's the genius, everyone around him has to get everything wrong all the time. But VJ is genuinely helpful in ways that I think Bond would really have struggled with this mission without him. Yeah, yeah I agree. Shall we move on to yours? Well, I mean, I had no particular order for this, but um, sticking on the subject of Roger Moore, I guess the next one I want to throw into the ring, uh, the very first one that occurred to me of, um, you know, an ally that just offers a unique flavor and one that I enjoy when they're on screen, I'd like to put forward uh, Columbo uh, from For Your Eyes Only. I'm just going to uh, cross that one off, off my list as well. <laughs> this could be a short uh, was... conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I uh, I also had Columbo. So uh, so why have you chosen Columbo anyway? Well, Columbo from For Your Eyes Only, I think for me, it's played really nicely with the initial setup of Christatos as the ally, and he's trying to convince Bond that Columbo is the problem. Mm-hmm. And, um, and ultimately that's revealed that it's the other way around, but um, they have that really tense meeting where, you know, Columbo plays back the recording that he's heard yeah. of yeah. Bond and Christatos talking about him. And um, I, I mean, a lot of it is down to the casting and it's just played with such charisma. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned that um, that meeting when he plays back the recording and obviously Bond doesn't trust him when he's first wakes up and he's obviously been captured by Columbo. And Throughout that whole conversation, Bond and and us as an audience are slowly convinced that actually this guy is the ally, not the villain. And um, you know, I think that is down to his, his personality. As you know, the more he talks, the more we kind of are won over by his personality. Yeah, uh, that we see in that conversation. And um, I think sometimes the interesting allies are the ones that have a slightly uneasy sort of tension sometimes. Maybe they're on mm. opposing sides. I mean, Columbo is is still a criminal. Yeah. He admits to smuggling, but you know he's not the smuggler that Bond's after in this instance. Um, and he's almost certainly had people killed. But, yeah. you know, in a similar way to, you know, another name that might pop up later, I'm not sure, but in a similar way to Draco in Honor Majesty's Secret Service, you know, this is, you know, he's dealing with a criminal here, but someone with an undeniable warmth and charisma nonetheless, who, for the time being at least, they're able to work alongside each other. Mm. And you get a little bit of that sort of tension with General Gogol from time to time when he pops up. Yeah. That's sort of an honourable mention from my perspective. I sort of wasn't going to single him out for a, a particular film so much but um his contribution during roger's uh tenure as a sort of recurring cold war sometimes ally sometimes antagonist part yeah, yeah. and whenever they're sort of friendly it's always with that undercurrent of cold war kind of well are you the lesser of two evils here or are you actually can i trust you probably not um <laughs> yeah and you know colombo is is just a a, a nice warm charismatic character that's played really well by Topol in Free yeah, Only. Yeah. Well, we're just whipping through these, James, so I think we're just going to agree. It's not like we're green lighting these, are we? But uh, <laughs> I think we're all waiting to get onto the meat of this conversation, which is the bad ones. So let's just uh, whittle through some of the, yeah. more of these good ones, because hopefully that'll provide a nice basis of, uh, of our criteria for a good ally yeah. Yeah, to yeah, understand yeah. why some of the later ones maybe fail 
as much yeah. as they do. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, let's hand that over to you, James. Who's next? Yeah, so my next one, again, as I said before, it's another Roger Moore ally. And I think, again, I think it is to do with the chemistry bond that Roger Moore has with the person who's uh, is acting opposite. Um, I have a feeling I know what's coming, but carry on. For my second choice, or it would have been my third if, uh, if you hadn't chosen Columbo, um, is is uh, Sir Godfrey Tibbet. Yep, I'll just cross that off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, so obviously Patrick McNee is um, obviously well known prior to becoming uh, Tibbet in A View to a Kill as being in the Avengers uh, TV series uh, as Steed. And his, ca- his character was very much a Bond sort of uh, character. But the fact that he's been now been brought into the Bond world and obviously the bits where they're trying to create this act where he's Bond's butler and they're arguing with each other and there's this back and forth. It's really enjoyable to watch. And then again, when he dies, I feel really annoyed that he's been killed the same way as, uh, as, as VJ, really. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, the, the banter between Roger and, and Patrick McNee is brilliant. It's And again, I think you get that sense with people like David Hedison as well as, as Felix that... Um, you know, a lot of these people are people who've got a, a pre-existing friendship with Roger Moore before they ever become a character in a Bond film, and that really just helps convey that that warmth. You get the sense that mm. you know these characters are potentially old friends, but Roger and Patrick definitely are old friends. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. and that just shines through. And um, yeah, he's one of those characters like VJ, where his uh, his ultimate demise is really upsetting Mm. it's one of those key moments that makes you never quite fully forgive mayday yeah 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 you know in spite of her uh redemption if you want to call it that her attempt at redemption i always watch it thinking but you killed tibbet yeah yeah i I agree Yeah, I've I've always loved their their dynamic of Roger just I say Roger because I always imagine it's a lot of it's his idea, but of Bond kind of piling on the abuse and um those little quips and put downs of like, what the devil's wrong with these shoes? <laughs> the juxtaposition of him being when they're in their undercover roles, he's playing a sort of subservient role to Bond. Yeah. While actually being Sir Godfrey, probably holding a slightly higher social standing as a result of his knighthood yeah means that everything that he puts him through is a kind of like uh bond is taking such pleasure in it yeah but you know when he says killing tippet was a mistake you feel it yeah you know, yeah, yeah yeah bond means that and yeah. it's one of the best kind of moments of roger's acting i think when he's got no time for jokes at that point he's just absolutely ready to finish off yeah. zorin at that point yeah uh the next one i have I mean, I say it's not really a list. It's sort of a smattering of characters that I've dragged across into a short (laughs) list. But I would like to change the topic a little bit from Roger Moore and address an early uh, ally of Bond's, Kerim Bay. Kerim Bay. From from Russia With Love. Okay. Uh, We talked about him way back in our From Russia With Love episode back in, well, we recorded it in like 2019, I think. Um, And how we said back then that he carries on that Bond tradition that they they started off so well. Um, 
of, of giving Bond some great allies. Um, Quarrel, we talked about in Doctor No as being, you know, a lovely, warm, charismatic character, not just a purveyor of exposition, but, you know, a fully rounded character that you feel for and you empathize with. But Karen Bay, I think, steps it up even more. And it's nice to see in amongst Bond's lonely, dark depressing job that every now and then he meets someone that he can actually confide in and and lighten up with a little bit yeah you know he has he shares some great happy moments with Kerim and there's some real really deep trust and and respect there that you feel between the two yeah uh, and again casting 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 it's just played so well um mm. and you feel like this is a real person this is not an archetype it's not a a, a, a cutout character you know, he hasn't been invented to serve a perfunctory purpose in the script. This It feels like a fully rounded human being. And the way they gain the respect for each other that they do throughout that film, I think, again, makes it just one of the most affecting scenes when, you know, he doesn't last until the end. Yeah, and I think that's that's... You can say that a lot about many of Bond's best allies is their... Uh... They, they don't usually survive till the end of the film. I think Columbo is the exception. I remember when, when you watch For Your Eyes Only, you kind of hope he doesn't die. And fortunately, Columbo doesn't die. But, you know, most of Bond's allies, like Kevin Bay and, or Tibbet or VJ, you know, they, they, they meet their end in the film and make that more of an emotional punch, really, mm. as a viewer. There's just a warmth and a charisma there. And I think that goes for all our examples. They're the people who bring out the warmth in Bond. They're the people who get through that icy outer layer to to, to strike yeah. some kind of rare connection with this guy who's quite cold and closed off to a lot of other people. Yeah, no, I agree. Next. Next <laughs> is one, again, we've uh, mentioned this person before, or I certainly did, uh, in our Thunderball episode, but I've gone for Paula um, from Thunderball. I thought you might. Yeah, I've always had a soft spot for Paula and I think a large part of it is down to the fact that Bond doesn't sleep with her uh, and she is seen primarily as uh, an ally to Bond and she is useful and she gets killed in the film. And and again, you you feel the pain that Bond does. You know, he he goes to rescue her. He gets there too late because Paula's uh, killed. And there's not many allies like that where she's totally professional in that respect so mm. I, I i kind of admire paula as a as an ally because of that really more than anything yeah, particularly in that era of bond yeah in the uh, in the early days for them to provide such a beautiful female ally and not have them romantically engaged is it was was very rare um and it is almost a shame that she seems to be gearing up for some kind of meetup as we discussed in our Thunderbolt oh, yes, episode. Yeah, but yeah, I think yeah, you proposed yeah. the alternate theory that perhaps she was uh, more interested in Felix or something along those lines. <laughs> but uh, certainly when I was narrowing down the list to take out the love interests, it certainly took out almost every woman on the list. So it's uh, it's definitely nice to see at least one name yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. 25 yeah. movies of, the, of, of a woman who is more than a love interest. Not to say that none of the love interests were also great allies, and we'll cover that another episode, I'm sure. But, mm-hmm. uh, 
Yeah, I had a feeling you might bring her up because I know your your feelings towards Paula. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, I think she's 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 one of my favourites. I think you know, in a later film, I think they would have taken that even further, and you know given her even more depth probably but for such an early example it's it's a surprisingly refreshing change to have her yeah in that absolutely film and and not kind of just treated the same as every one before or since yeah 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 shall i round off with one more go on all right so uh i'm gonna finish off with i mean i've got my pick here well my honorable mention uh is zukovsky Oh yeah, yeah, good, good choice, good um, choice. But I think he shares a lot of the same traits that uh, that some of the characters we've talked about. That kind of uneasy tension, the fact mm. that he starts off not an ally at all, but literally threatened at gunpoint to help Bond, and then, yeah. but by the world is not enough, he's become much more of an ally, and there's a much more mutual respect there. So that was my honourable mention. Once again, very charismatically played, and I think all of this comes down to the casting and the and the characterization. But I'd like to finish up talking a little bit about Saunders uh, from The Living Daylights. Yeah, okay. Um, mostly because I think it offers a slightly different type of ally than what we've discussed in as much as this is very much a kind of company man, someone who toes the line very rigidly, totally by the books isn't it adhering to the book by the yeah. letter very strict does not care for bond at all thinks he's irresponsible thinks he's reckless reports him um as such for not finishing the mission as planned and um yeah there's nothing but resentment and uh, disdain to begin with and i think that's what makes this one so compelling is that by the time um you know his journey ends he and bond have have completely changed their relationship to one of respect due to each other's input in the mission obviously saunders seeing bond's true value of what he's been doing all that time and saunders uh providing all that valuable information to bond and trusting him when he needed to be trusted most and going you know this is irregular you know he's fighting that inner urge to to go by the book at that point and bond's making yeah. requests of him that are, that are not in his nature to go against regulations to get this stuff sorted but he does it anyway because by that point he trusts bond's intuition and bond in turn acknowledges that someone's gone above and beyond for him and put his neck out for bond even if it potentially means you know the end of his career and once again with a lot of these examples it sadly means the end of his life and that kind of respect that they finally show for each other that happens moments before he dies at the hands of Necross uh, yeah. makes for one of the best scenes in the movie and the following kind of emotional response from Bond that signifies just how much this has affected him, you know, just really sticks in the memory to me. Yeah, yeah. the way he pops that balloon, shows his anger and then yeah. nearly shoots a kid uh, and trying to find find yeah. the killer. We um, talked about it, I think, in our Hall of Fame episode, I think. I might oh, was it? That, was it right? Yeah, that yeah. moment in there because it, it definitely before. comes up. And we'll probably, we'll talk about this again when we get round to the living daylights in 20 years or so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I just thought, you know, it's, it's, it's excellently played. He's very stuffy. You don't like him at all, really, to begin with. No, Because he's no. just he's such a, a stickler for the rules, and you think, oh, go away. Yeah, you, yeah. Bond, let him do what he does. But he's right in most of these cases. He's playing it by the rules, and uh, Bond should have done his job. But, mm. uh, you know, if you're looking at it 
from a strictly by the book kind of perspective, but that's why Bond does what he does and what and Saunders does what he does. But yeah. it's really nice to see that by the end of their journey together, they've they've completely met in the middle, and there's there's mutual respect there. Yeah. So James, you said you had an honourable mention. Yeah, I had one more honourable mention. Uh, I had Commander Carter from The Spy Who Loved Me. Uh, uh, Shane Rimmer. Yeah, um, in his third role, I think it is in the, yep. the Bond. After you and Lives Twice and Diamonds Are Forever, yeah, I think. That's right, yeah. yeah. Um, but it's a much meatier role for him. And I just love how he, um, again, it's the chemistry with Roger Moore. And it, it is essentially just like a bit part. He's not in it much. He's mm. just there as the captain of a submarine or commander of a submarine. Um, he's such a presence and he has that like like, like i say the chemistry between him and bond just brings his characters to life and he helps bond he helps him take apart the nuclear bomb and that again it's that respect between his character and 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 bond that um that makes that that partnership work so well shane rim is always watchable Um, he is yeah yeah yeah. and it's one of those examples of a character that could just as easily have been like a, a bit part a kind of regular studio actor they'd brought in just oh get him he always plays these type of characters you know yeah 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 quite a perfunctory role but it's you know he's one of those actors that can that can make a memorable part out of you know what could otherwise have been pretty forgettable yeah i agree yeah so now we move on to the other half of this conversation uh and i assume you've got some picks for this we're going to talk about where some of the allies from across the series have failed in the same way that uh, the ones we've just mentioned succeeded, perhaps, or in perhaps they failed in completely different ways. We're about to find out. Yeah. Shall I kick us off with one? Yeah, because I'm sure you're going to say somebody that I probably got anyway, so uh, so go for it. Well, I've got a few, just on the off chance that we, we did double up. Yeah. I'd like to start off, following on from Sir Godfrey Tippett in A View to a Kill, as such an example of a good warm charismatic ally in that film i'd like to offer up another one from that film and that is achille aubergine <laughs> okay he's believe it or not he wasn't on my list um this is the um the french uh contact that bond meets at the top of the eiffel tower during a show involving butterflies and I don't really know what the purpose of that scene is. I'm always distracted by this character. And, and you can't say that he's not trying to make the most of the material. I mean, he's acting it and then some. He's chewing the scenery completely. You know, it's it's not a forgettable part necessarily. It's just I still don't know to this day what, what he's actually trying to help Bond so, with because so, I'm so distracted by the scene and his characterization as this sort of um, egotistical, <laughs> smug caricature he's a he's a detective isn't he is that, is that am i right in saying that yes i believe yeah. he is a detective who refers to himself in the third person yeah it's got it's, it's a it's a choice i mean i'll give him that it's a definite <laughs> choice to refer to himself in the third person with such a sort of smug overconfidence but i think the whole scene amounts to very little and you're left thinking how did that kill him rather than anything emotional you don't, <laughs> you don't care that he dies you just go what <laughs> got a fish hook in the face there's a fly in his soup huh yeah if you were to approach that character differently what would you what would you do i don't know have, have more of a traditional detective like yeah no, nothing showed up on the tests i guess but then would that make it just forgettable and and it wouldn't even pr- probably enter my mind for this list yeah it, yeah i don't know i think it's just 
I don't think I leave the scene with any real emotion. I just leave the scene with a kind of confusion. He's very short lived, but you kind of roll your eyes when that scene starts and then you kind of breathe a little sigh of relief when it's finished. It doesn't derail anything completely, but it just doesn't tick off the boxes that Sir Godfrey Tibbet or even Chuck Lee in that film tick off of being, you know, someone who can have just a normal, regular human conversation with a person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's just a bit of a wonky addition to a slightly wonky film. Okay, so my one, and I'm sure... uh, See, with this one, I don't want to talk too much about this character because I know in the next episode we're going to talk about him. Okay, Um, yeah, I think I know who you're talking about. Yeah, uh, and that is is Hip from The Man with the Golden Gun. (laughs) Yep, let me just cross him off. He he is perhaps one of the more useless allies that Bond has, um, has encountered. Yeah. When I think of how useless he is, uh, I just immediately think of that time where he rescues Bond from that uh, ninja training school or, or uh, wherever it is, and then just drives off without yeah. him. Inexplicably. He just drives <laughs> off, expecting Bond to jump in the car. He he obviously can't, and he just drives off laughing anyway. Uh, yeah, he was on my list, as were his nieces. Um, yeah, yeah. Like you say, I mean, you've you've laid up a hell of a tease for our next episode. I'm sure people will be clamoring to get onto that one. But, you know, let's just say, yeah, he is perhaps the weakest of the series, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> just baffling decisions all over the place. You know, when I when you said Man with the Golden Gun and I said, oh, I know who you're about to say, I thought you might be saying someone else. Oh, really? Okay. So I'd like to briefly mention J.W. Pepper. Okay, right, okay. <laughs> Now you see, J.W. Pepper wasn't wasn't on my list. Well, so see, uh, I know that you you know you always used to look forward to J.W. Yeah, Pepper in yeah, Live and yeah. Let Die. You talked yeah. about that on that episode, and mm. in Live and Let Die, I think he you know as a one and done character. I mean, maybe not forgivable. He does outstay his welcome even in that film, but in the setting that it's in, in the sort of deep south of America, you go like, okay, well, this is a stereotype of a probably a type of person that does exist down there, but there is absolutely no excuse for not just his appearance in The Man with the Golden Gun, his location does not make any sense. He absolutely, if you met a character like that in real life, he would not be in Thailand. He just would not travel outside the US. It's that kind of guy. Probably yeah. doesn't even have a passport. But seemingly, the even more cartoonified version of that character that he becomes in that film, which we will go on to discuss in the next episode. So um, he's ludicrous. He probably shouldn't have come back. But he's not as bad as Hip. No. No. <laughs> that says something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you got another one? See, I've got, I've got someone on the, on the list, and I don't know how much I believe uh, he's a bad ally. But well, let's talk through it, and we'll see if we can come to a consensus. Because I, 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 I may be, you know, trying to rustle feathers, is that the term? Ruffle feathers? Ruffle feathers, yeah. Are, ruffle are, feathers. You, about to, are you about to probe at something sensitive no no not, not not at all but i just think when i was putting this list together i was trying to think of somebody actually i'm not really that bothered about and maybe some people might be more protective of and it's jack wade from golden eye and tomorrow never dies jack wade almost made my good short list you know? really right yeah. interesting well that uh, said i think it's mostly due to a childhood fondness for tomorrow never dies but yeah uh, uh 
I can see where you come from. Go but on, but the thing is, when you say that about how you have such a fondness of Timon over Dice, he's, he's in it for literally like a minute. Yeah, but I prefer him in that to Goldeneye. And some would say like he's a far more normal, less silly character in Goldeneye, but I prefer him in, in Tomorrow Never Dies. I mean, this is something we'll discuss in the Goldeneye episode, but that's like years away oh, anyway. Don't so. save anything for that, James. Yeah. We'll be 50 before <laughs> but, um, What was the point in, in him in Goldeneye? Like, he's there as a taxi man in Goldeneye. Well, to set up a meeting with... With, with Zukovsky, right, yeah. Yeah. But then his character completely changed from this, like, oh, grumpy old man to this, like, oh, yeah, third wife or whatever he says. Um, and then yeah. he's suddenly, like, really charming. Hey, do you do, do buy barn? Do you do any gardening? And then suddenly it's like, yeah. it's a completely different character. I hadn't really thought about it, to be honest, because I think I sort of saw the Bond films in a bit of a strange order where I, I saw Tomorrow Never Dies first and then I saw goldeneye i think a little bit later perhaps after the world is not enough or around about that time and then i went back and saw the living daylights and obviously jodon baker is in that as a different character and i think that sort of clouded my enjoyment of goldeneye since then i can't work out why they brought him back that kind of overshadows the character and stops me from engaging with him because half of my brain is always thinking you shouldn't really be here yeah. I mean, a lot of people would say of the two parts that he plays, he's better as Wade than as Whitaker. Yeah. Uh, and that, that's the other reason why I put him, kind of put him on this list because of the fact that two films ago, he was essentially the main bad guy, if you're not counting uh, yeah. uh, Koskov. So it's, um, one thing, it's one thing to bring Shane Rimmer back in another bit part, but to bring your villain back as an ally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's like. You know, they did that the other way around with Charles Gray, and it yeah. was jarring then as yeah. well. Um, I don't know. There there are far worse ones on the list there for me, but... Yeah, I'll, I'll say I was ruffling feathers. I wanted to see your reaction. Uh, Consider me ruffled. I don't <laughs> I don't know whether I personally agree with it as much as I do, but those I just thought I'd just get some of those little niggles that I, uh, out of the way. He, I mean, he seems almost like a Fleming-esque character in the way that Fleming would depict the Americans yes. quite yeah, often yeah. as um, lacking in subtlety and brash and heavy-handed. And mm. that is kind of him. Yeah. Um, but if he was meant to be a sort of Felix Leiter-esque character for the Brosnan era, it doesn't come close, really, to that level of no. warmth. No, no. Bond seems to sort of roll his eyes when he sees him more than seeming happy to see him (laughs) and you know there's a reason why i left felix lighter off the list because i thought i felt like he was too obvious to go to in terms of being a good ally that he is bond's longest standing friend um in both the classic continuity and with um jeffrey wright in the daniel craig films which is why my final pick for the bad list is the felix lighter from the Living Daylights. Okay, see, I was I was trying to avoid uh, the Felix Lighters because there are some good ones and some bad ones, and mm. yeah, it, I think that could be a conversation for another day. But uh, but yeah, you've chosen. We, we've your said worst this every Felix time Lighter. there's a film with Felix Lighter in, we sort of go, "Well, we'll, we'll probably talk about this later." But we, I don't know if we will at this point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Suffice it to say, I think when we did Diamonds Are Forever, and I talked about you know whether Norman Burton was the worst or not, I came away thinking, you know what? No, I don't. I don't think he is. Because I think, as I said in that episode, if he wasn't meant to be Felix Leiter, 
if we hadn't been introduced to Lighter beforehand and we hadn't been introduced to him as this sort of cool character and then in Goldfinger, at least a sort of, if not cool character, then a, a friendly character and then back to a cool character. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. If we'd been introduced to him for the first time in Diamonds Are Forever, we'd think like, oh, he's a bit of a cranky man, but yeah. he brings something to it. He yeah. brings he's different, a, an, an energy works. to it. Yeah. You know, it's like... He's manic. He's a bit frustrated. He's a bit frazzled and paranoid and mm. grouchy. But John Terry brings virtually nothing to Felix Leiter in the living daylights to no. the point where I almost forget he's in it until it gets to that scene. And I'm like, oh, God, yeah, this. And he's the first time we've seen the characters since Live and Let Die. And he, they just had been better off not putting him in it and then waiting till License to Kill to bring David Hedison back. But you get no sense of history between these two at all. No, no. He seems just frankly pissed off to see Bond. It's such a failure of that character at that stage. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, you know, overall, Felix Leiter is, is you know, Bond's best ally there is which makes this particular portrayal of him so egregious it's just it's just so not felix that it's frankly the worst part of that film for me but we'll get to that in the living daylights <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah no I, I agree uh he is the worst for you it's lighter and him not being there wouldn't really change the plot at all no. really yeah and whereas with uh norman burton's felix from diamonds are forever i think if you called him Bob Johnson, uh, you'd go like, oh, I, like, I quite like Bob Johnson from Diamonds <laughs> Are Forever. I quite, he's like kind of cranky old man, but I kind of like him. Yeah, he's on my, uh, my top three list. Yeah. I don't mm. think, if if you called Felix Leiter in The Living Daylights, you know, Julian Spongeface, you'd still be like, well, he's a bad ally. Yeah. yeah he's yeah. miserable. He's yeah. uncharismatic. He brings nothing to the role. It's like it's like it's been performed by AI. It's like yeah, <laughs> there's, yeah, there's yeah, no yeah. there's no humanity there. Yeah. So, any more dishonorable mentions on your list, James? Well, I've still got one more to do. Oh, um, go on. But to be honest, they're all the the three of them that I've got written down that I could potentially talk about are um, are very small parts. So, to be honest, they're all dishonorable mentions. Well, go on, rattle them off, then we'll so, say a quick th few yeah, things about it. each. I mean, we've talked about this person before in one of our rankings that we did, uh, one of our lists that we did on the uh, YouTube channel, uh, and that's Smallbone. Yeah, I sort of took out the MI6 staff. Yeah, but I thought, well, she's not, she's not stand out a regular me. MI6 staff, you know, because we could have been talking about Q or yeah, Money Penny. I and agree. Stuff, an absolute non-entity of a character whose very existence is almost insulting at the insinuation they're making. Roger Moore is fine to continue and get old, but Lois Maxwell must be replaced by <laughs> Absolutely not. Get out. Yeah. <laughs> Next. Um, Sheik Hussain in The Spiral of Me. The random fend from... Uh, I get, yeah, I mean, I sort of, I, I considered him and thought, you know what, I kind of like what they were trying to do, this yeah. sort of insinuate some old friend that he catches up with, but I found it more confusing as a kid than anything. I'm That's like, it, yeah. It didn't do anything other than tell him where certain characters would be at a certain time. It's a case of what, like, a lot of these characters are written because Bond needs to receive some information. Yes. But the difference between the good ones and the weaker ones tends to be what the actor brings to it yeah. or what the writer gives them to do. And when when all they do is simply perform their task and then they're gone, mm. it just seems a bit transparent. It seems a bit like, okay, you've served your purpose, now go. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. 
Uh, and the final one, it kind of supports exactly what you've just been saying. Uh, Chew me from the man with the golden gun. <laughs> I beg your pardon. <laughs> so, yeah, Chew me is just there purely because she's got a name that's called Chew me. Um, yeah. uh, you wouldn't get away with that now. No. Um, well, once again, conversation for next episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> And the man with the golden gun did did bond dirty with the allies, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. So out of those, James, who would you pick if you can? You got to pick one Bond ally to say, you know what, he's up there for me. For me, it's out of uh, VJ and Columbo, you know, and I'm mm. um, and because I have such a fond memory of watching Octopussy and really loving the scenes with VJ in it, I'm going to go with VJ. I'll tell you what then, I'll go with Columbo yeah. and then they're, they're okay. both up there as yeah, the yeah. top. Yeah, yeah. Um, in terms of the bad ones, I mean, we've made it pretty obvious. Yeah, I Hip. Think, but nothing comes close <laughs> to Lieutenant Hip and we'll talk more <laughs> next episode. Yeah. Um, so uh, that wraps up our conversation on the top and bottom allies as far as we're concerned. Now we've had that conversation, James, you've got had any more thought to David's question at the beginning, uh, which was uh, which bad guys would have made good allies, assuming they weren't killed. Now, I suppose what we're looking for is someone who perhaps Bond would get along with, um, someone who he might respect, even if they didn't see eye to eye in the films. If they did see eye to eye, who could he work with? Um, I, my, my first thought is probably someone like 006. Alec I was going to say Alec Trevelyan, yeah. Uh, Sean Bean, uh, because we see a bit of a glimpse of him doing doing the good guy job, even if it is an, an act, uh, yeah. it's easy to, it's easy to picture him as a good guy. Uh, I might throw Largo's hat into the ring. All right, yeah, because yeah. we talked about you know you you described him as sort of being a kind of opposite to Bond, someone yeah. who likes his drinks, likes his guns, likes his women. Yeah, yeah. Um, I sort of drew attention to the to the fact that you know I I had a respect for the fact that he does a lot of the work himself. He gets stuff done. He seemed to be, if you were on his good side, a fairly decent person to work with. It's just obviously he's he's doing bad things. But you could imagine him doing a similar kind of role to a Columbo in a different universe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's not give David too much air time uh, on nah, this nah, podcast. Nah, that's, I think that's enough. It's quite enough from you. Uh, incidentally. <laughs> Uh, we did have another question. Oh, right. Uh, oh, go, go for it. Go for it. David, if, if you missed that at the beginning, David is my brother. Uh, and so he gave me that one. And he said, oh, by the way, uh, Leo has a question too. And Leo is my nephew, David. Okay. okay. Uh, Leo's question. Hi, Leo. Hello. Leo's question was who our favorite bad guys are. <laughs> now, I think at the risk of disappointing you, Leo, that is a topic for another episode. Uh, but perhaps it could be an episode very soon. Yeah, maybe uh, you know we'll do the same for villains maybe as we've one just like done for this. Allies. This, this yeah. would work. Yeah, it wouldn't take it would. too much preparation. Maybe yep. we can get around to it in uh, in not too long. Yeah, yeah. but uh, watch this space, Leo. We will answer that question, but it deserves far more of a long-winded answer than we can give you right now. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think that's that conversation wrapped up, don't you? I think so. Yeah. In that case, James. Let's play games with James. Yeah, games with James. Oh, you had me in a panic yesterday because I was like, "Oh, oh, are we still on for tomorrow for for recording?" I, I don't have anything ready, um, so I stayed up uh, till about one o'clock this morning. Um, and something you said really helped me out. I have to say, you said, "Oh, just reuse an old format." So <laughs> I went right back to the beginning. Okay. Okay. So, 
we are going to reuse the format, I believe, from our Doctor No episode, which is the James Bond Reviews Quiz. Oh, right. Okay. Right. Do you remember that? So is this one where you give me uh, like a review of a film and I have to guess what the film is? Exactly, yes. Uh, As with the Doctor No episode from 2018 when we recorded that, I have sought out 10 contemporary reviews, that is, reviews from the time of release for these films, for you to try and identify what film they're talking about. So I've added blanks at certain points to conceal the name of the film. Full disclosure, I have edited these slightly to uh, condense them and to remove any identifying elements. Okay. So... What I need from you first, James, is a sound that can be played if and when you get one of these answers correct. You've surpassed yourself this time. Lovely. And can I have a sound effect to put in uh, if and when you probably get one of these wrong? Goodbye, Mr. Turner. (laughs) (laughs) You really have surpassed yourself this time with those. Those are maybe my favourites so far. Okay, so without further ado, let us play round two of the James Bond Reviews quiz. Number one. Blank is well cast as the girl, but we lose her for about an hour in the film, only to have her return in a most implausible location and time. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, that's that's a weird one. Bond girl that disappears. I'm going to have to say... I'm going to say on a Majesty's Secret Service. You've surpassed yourself this time. Ah, yes, yes. <laughs> that was from Gene Siskel. Um, Diana Rigg is obviously the actress that he's talking about yeah, there. Yeah. Okay, number two. The villain of the piece is Blank, who's really just a loosely tied fistful of character traits pulled from the Bond villain playbook. The lair, the henchman, the personal vendetta. It's the same ideas recycled without much flair. The actor himself gives almost nothing to the role beyond the accent and the fake scars he wears. No time to die. You've surpassed yourself this time. That is correct, yeah. James. <laughs> uh, to be honest, before you said the scars and the uh, and, and stuff, I kind of thought about that anyway. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty bang on, isn't it? That's yeah. from The Independent, and it is No Time to Die, talking about Rami Malek, of course. Number three. Though it boasts some of the classiest credentials ever attached to the series, director blank and actors blank, blank and blank, the movie seems dated and confused, as if everyone involved knew how to make a Bond movie, but they were thinking about something else at the time. Oh, ah, that could be anything, really. Um, I'm going to just go for a guess here, go for Diner of the Day. Goodbye, Mr. Turner. That is incorrect, James. The classiest credentials ever attached to the series. The director it was referring to was director Michael Apted. Oh, oh, get lost. Shut up. The film is The World Is Not Enough. (laughs) Who who wrote that review? That was from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I hope they got fired. Number four. All of the trademark elements are assembled by director blank and writers blank into a Bond picture that for once doesn't seem like set pieces uneasily glued together, but proceeds in a more or less logical way to explain what the problem and solution might be. Bond's one-liners seem more part of his character this time, 
and Blank's villain emerges as more three-dimensional and motivated, less of a caricature than the evildoers in some of the Bond films. Right, okay, the fact that you said writers makes me think of something that involves Purvis and Wade, maybe. Um, I'm going to go with Casino Royale. Goodbye, Mr. Turner. Oh, uh, you're gonna, you're gonna kick, you're gonna kick me for this, because that's the world is not enough again. Oh come on, this is. <laughs> I was right with Purvis and Wade though, but well, I thought you'd now. be annoyed after the last one, so I wanted to give you one to cheer you up. All oh, right, cheers. That was legendary film critic Roger Ebert. Well, oh well, there you go. That's a that's a proper review there. Look at that. Number five, Blank is not the best of the series by a long shot. That would be a choice between Goldfinger and Moonraker, but it's far from the worst. It has a structural problem in it that it opens with a pre-credit chase, which is so lunatic and inventive that the rest of the movie is hard put to achieve such a fever pitch again. Something that's ludicrous. Um, I'm going to go with Goldeneye. Goodbye, Mr. Turner. That is incorrect. Oh, come on, I started off so well on this. Uh, the correct answer is for your eyes only. Oh, right, okay. Oh, come on now. I, don't I find it very strange that this reviewer from the New York Times in 1981 said that it's not the best of the series by a long shot. That would be a choice between Goldfinger and Moonraker. <laughs> yeah, I didn't actually, to be honest, I didn't actually clock that when you said that, actually. I, I think you'd probably be hard-pressed to guess that because I don't think the pre-credit sequence is anywhere near the best part of that film. No, no. And I thought it said Chase... I didn't, there wasn't really much of a chase in that. There's a... That's why he described it. It actually said helicopter chase, but I took that word out. Number six. Agent Bond, in short, is just a great big hairy marshmallow. But he sure does titillate the popular taste. He moves with a tensile grace that excitingly suggests the violence that is bottled inside Bond, but somehow the poor chap almost always manages to seem slightly silly. He can hardly help it in a story like this. When I think of hairiness, I think of Sean Connery. Um, and a story like this, I'm torn between You Only Live Twice and Diamonds Off Forever, so I'm going to go with You Only Live Twice. Goodbye, Mr. No. Turner. Oh, no, sorry, that was Dr. No. Oh, really? Oh, that's so weird. Yeah, okay. Mm, that was from Time Magazine. Yeah. Okay, number seven. Blank is the fastest Bond pitcher yet. Its pace has the precision of a Swiss watch and the momentum of a greyhound on the track. There are still plenty of tunes left in his violin. James Bond is still a virtuoso with a license to thrill. Okay, so there's been a few Bond films that have come out when this review came out. It sounds slightly dated in terms of the language used, I feel. Um, so I'm going to say The Spy Will Love Me. Goodbye, Mr. Turner. God's sake. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, James. <laughs> uh, believe it or not, the fastest Bond picture ever with the precision of a Swiss watch and a momentum of a greyhound is a view to a kill. I was right with the Roger Moore. Era. You were. I thought you were going to get it then. Yeah. And I thought you'd appreciate an unusually positive a view to a kill. Yeah, that was quite, that's quite nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks to Lawrence O'Toole there of McLean's. Thanks, Lawrence. Lawrence. Okay, number eight. The film retains its familiar, effective mix of despicably powerful villains, suspiciously tantalising women and ever-wilder special effects, but 
Blank's presence adds a darker tone. The screenwriters have accommodated this moodier Bond and have even created a script that makes him fit for the 90s. I mean, it, it's got to be Goldeneye, surely. Oh, 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 wait, 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 wait. Mm, yeah, I'm going to go with Goldeneye. Because of the 90s comment. Yeah, but I feel like you've included it to throws me off. <laughs> I'm nodding. <laughs> Goodbye, Mr. Turner. Yeah, oh, okay. Sorry, that was it's, cruel, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's about to dies, isn't it? Nope. Oh, okay, right, well, it's... It it's licensed to kill. Oh, come on. Now, it's not even the 90s. I know. <laughs> That's what I thought would throw you off. I hoped it would, and it did. <laughs> Number nine. The movie's momentum is such that one never has much time to react to its lack of reason, only to its sensations of speed and narrow escape, and to the splendour of its crazy gadgets and decor. It may be that I've become jaded, or that I've forgotten the details of all but the last and worst Bond film, but Blank does seem comparatively benign. Okay, so... When you said the last and worst Bond film, I was thinking, oh, I wonder if it's talking about Dying of the Day or something, and this is actually a casino where all it's talking about. But the fact that you said, oh, the gadgets in it, obviously there aren't really gadgets in Casino Royale, so it can't be that. Then you look at it back at the past and what people thought about the worst Bond film. Did people think The Man with the Golden Gun was weak back then? Or did they think On a Majesty's Secret Service was weak? And I think they did. So I'm going to go with Diamonds Off Forever. You've surpassed yourself this time. Yes! Well done. That was absolutely correct, and for all the reasons you just reasoned, that, uh, yes, at the time, they did not like Honor Majesty's Secret Service at all. Yeah. There was another review that I think referred to uh, You Only Live Twice as the last proper Bond outing. Mm. It complete, It just completely right. ignored Honor Majesty's wow, Secret wow, Service. Wow. Um so I thought, yeah, I thought you might enjoy that. That's why the contemporary ones are so interesting. Cause, yes, yeah. You know, all, like almost all of the kind of more recent re-evaluations of the, of the films completely flip that on its head. But mm. I mean, do you ever watch Diamonds Are Forever and, and react with its sensation of speed <laughs> to its splendor and decor? It's one of the ugliest Bond films ever made, isn't it? Yeah. Uh... <laughs> And finally, number 10. Moore lacks all Connery's strengths and has several deep deficiencies, while Blank is an unusually unimpressive villain. I feel like to be calling Roger Moore out on that, it must be an early Roger Moore film, so I'm thinking either live and let die, the man with the golden gun. I imagine Scaramanga wasn't looked at in that way as a poor villain, so I'm going to go with, um, I'm going to go with live and let die. Goodbye, Mr. Turner. Come on. <laughs> the correct answer is the man with the golden gun. Oh, they what? were talking about Christopher Lee. Really? He's an unusually unimpressive villain. That's weird, that. Because I, 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 I have a poster of that, like, building up Christopher Lee as... as... Maybe that was it. Maybe they have hyped too much. Yeah, maybe that's what it is, yeah. I just thought it was interesting. And if you know me well enough, James, by this point, if you've been paying attention, usually the last one is a bit of a hint to what's coming. James scored an underwhelming 3 out of 10. That's like the John Terry's Felix Leiter of scores, a disappointing show after such a long hiatus. Still, it could have been worse. He could have scored 0 out of 10, or a lieutenant hip, as it's known in the game. Anyway, speaking of the man with the golden gun, 
on that segue, that is, of course, the end of Games with James. And our next episode will be The Man with the Golden Gun. And I'm sure I speak for both of us when I say, I can wait. <laughs> Please read James. In the meantime, we will end that episode there. It's good to be back. Good to see your face, James. And uh, yeah. once again, go through all the rigmarole of trying to figure out how we how we record these because we always forget each time. Yeah, so if this recording is a bit iffy, uh, that's probably why. And there's a bit of uh, housekeeping that I need to do at this point, which is just a little note on uh, how and where you can listen to these episodes. I'm exploring at the moment alternate uh, hosting platforms. Our one or two episodes a year doesn't quite warrant the hosting fees of uh, SoundCloud, although it's been great for us up until this point. Um, I'm looking at alternatives. I'm currently investigating Anchor. So you should still be able to find Bon Jam on Spotify, um, even if it takes a little while to get it back up and running on some of the others. But bear with us in the meantime, and it will always, if nothing else, Bon Jam will always, always, always be available as video versions on YouTube. Uh, I mean, I say video versions, it's just an image, but I spent quite a while on those images, so it's nice that if you go to you go, go I always to look YouTube, forward to looking at the thumbnail, to be honest. You get so, to see it there. So if if we no longer appear on your chosen platform, well, you probably are not listening to this in that case, but on the off chance you've found us somewhere else, uh, we are working on it, but for the time being, we should still be available on Spotify. Hopefully we'll still be on Google Podcasts and all the others, wherever you get your podcasts. But uh, we're investigating alternative hosting platforms. So if you've been listening, thank you. And please do get in touch to let us know that you've been listening. And you can do this on all the usual channels, Facebook, uh, Twitter, while it's still a thing, and Instagram, at BonJamCast. We don't post very much, but we are there and we will get your messages if you send them. Do get in touch with any questions or feedback or just to say hello. It'd be great to hear from you. And uh, James? I think it's just time to keep saying... Spread that jam. Spread that jam, baby. Oh, my God. He's added to it. Um, <laughs> spread that jam, everybody, and take care. Cheerio. Cheerio.